0: Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks.
1: He says there aren't any easy answers. I say, he's not looking hard enough!
0: Conversations About Collaboration, Episode 30. Daniel Newton. Of Zendesk joins me for an illuminating chat about remote work, Huga, location designations, and how her company has handled this vastly new work environment. Let's rock, Danielle. Where does this pod find you?
1: Ah, uh, this pod finds me right outside of San Francisco. I am in the sunny East Bay, California.
0: Are you close to Zendesk headquarters?
1: I am. I'm probably about a 35-minute BART ride outside of our headquarters.
0: Hmm. Now, for people who don't know about Zendesk, something tells me that they'll recognize it once they heard, but in a nutshell, what does Zendesk do?
1: Zendesk makes customer service and support software for everybody, Uh, is kind of our (laughs) in-a-nutshell
0: something tells me that if people go back through their emails and type in Zendesk, they go, Oh, wait a minute. That's what that company was, was using when they responded to my ticket.
1: Yes. And you, once you recognize it, you're like, Oh, they use Zendesk. Oh, they use Zendesk. So it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm.
0: Talk a little bit about the culture at Zendesk 18 months ago. The
1: culture at Zendesk 18 months ago. Uh, Zendesk is a company that. Is very focused on culture. And in terms of just our overall, you know, I would use words like we are focused on inclusivity, we are focused on our social impact. Um, Our um, founder, who's now our CEO, one of the founders who's now our CEO, he is a Danish gentleman. And so our offices had very much of a Danish vibe. I don't know if you've ever heard of the term huga. H-Y-G-G-E. It is, um, there are books written about it, but it is this, um, it's the Danish version of kind of cozy at home, that feeling of warmth, of community, of family. And that is sort of the, um, the underlying way that we were designing our offices. So it's a lot of wood, plants, um, very clean type of a, of a vibe. And we were very much an in-office company. You know, we came to the office, we talked in person. It was the expectation that everybody was in office, about 4% of our workforce was remote. So very, very low. And, um, I had been pre COVID tasked with moving us from a one-to-one desk to person ratio to a one to 1.3 desk to person ratio. So for every um, 13 employees, we would have 10 desks for them. The idea being that we're not all sitting at our desks every day and our utilization rates for a desking space was about 25%, which was below industry standard. So uh, I was actually having a really hard time with that. I was The, the leadership was saying, everybody in my org needs their own personal desk with their name on it um and i was i was not going to reach my goal <laughs> my okr was going to go unfulfilled and so i was working on that and then covid hits and we all get sent home and suddenly it's oh my gosh look at us working from home what do we need offices for <laughs> and so the pendulum swung deeply in the other direction. And I think that, you know, as time went on, we realized that there are a lot of things that can be done from home very well. And luckily, um, we are a software as a service firm, SAS, if you're familiar with that term. And um, we don't, Like have equipment in the office. We're not manufacturing anything. We don't have R and D labs, and so our operation is fairly simple. And it is easy for everybody to take their laptop home. There was a stipend for folks to get a monitor set up, an ergo chair, whatever it was that they needed in order to make their home environment um, acceptable, workable, to the extent that we're able to do that. Right, Um, and. Anyway, so as we kind of continue down this pathway of everybody's going at home and The time just sort of extended and extended and extended, we realized that there are things that um, are challenging when you're not in the office, the building of relationships, relationships become much more transactional, they're much less rich, right? Um, Training for people that are early in career or in new job functions, you can't suddenly yell over the top of your monitor, like, hey, what does QBR stand for or whatever it is, right? So all of that's gone, kind of those um, unintentional interactions with folks that kind of create those ties in that community, the familiar faces, all those things are missing. And and then of course, the, the core of, of the work, right? The ideation, the innovation, the creativity, those things really are best done in person. And so you go back and you say, okay, how do we rethink about our work, our workforce, our workspaces in order to recreate this idea of we don't need to be in the office forty hours a week in order for our company to run? But what do we need to do?
0: You mentioned that the pendulum had shifted. I'm wondering how quickly, and also talk a little bit about which types of things um, you see in the future. Um, Remaining remote and is your desk number or your ratio going to what is that ratio now?
1: (laughs) So I'm for us we have you know gone through this whole iteration of something we're calling location designation. So it's essentially you know uh, a designation by role that says this is an in office role with a loose guideline that you probably need to be in the office a couple days a week at your manager's discretion or. This is a fully remote role, and you don't need to be in the office at all. But our offices are here and available for you if. Is you... that what
0: they're calling it? Because I know Salesforce is breaking people into buckets. I never heard the term lo- location designation before. Is that your term, or is
1: that's? That... Yeah, I think that's an internal uh, okay. way that we're phrasing that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, um, you know, and you asked about our desking. We are thinking, we're not just thinking, we have gone out and spoken. We we hired a third-party consultant and they did about 45 interviews with um, C staff and senior level executive leadership within Zendesk. We also did an we hate using the term survey, but it was essentially an employee survey. That's like, how is this going? What sort of work do you envision doing in the office? What sort of work would be better done in your home environment or elsewhere? Um, You know, as we sort of started to build this idea of hybrid or flexible work, how does that work for us? And so we went out and we gathered all this data and now we're analyzing it. And what we're learning is, people are happy to do their focus work at home. They're happy to come into the office twice a week to do the ideation, to talk with their colleagues, to have that face-to-face time, to go to happy hour, grab coffee, all of those things, right? And, And then take what they learn and go back home and through asynchronous work, whether that's through work boards, uh, we use Google Docs um, and Slack, you know, different methods of communication, we're able to then push projects forward. And so as it relates to our office space and our office design, we think we're going to need a lot fewer desks. We think that on any given day, we'll have about 50% of that office's workforce in the office And that, you know, only 25% of the time, they're going to sit at a desk there. And so we're moving much more into these collaborative spaces with tools and technology and away from desking. We still do need some, but we don't need as much as we used to.
0: We were talking before we started recording about the New York Times article on Google and the future work. I don't know if you got to the part at which they showed people in circles sitting next to monitors. Ah, um, that strikes me as really interesting, because it's not quite the same. And I've even seen these iPad robots where you're basically, quote unquote, in the office. I, I mean, is that something that you guys have explored? Or I could see it being a little weird, but also better than just being the person on the conference call. It's just a voice, right? It doesn't have the same uh, presence, for lack of a better term.
1: Yeah, uh, we are actively exploring those ideas right now. There are, you know, I love the the little robots on an iPad (laughs) that kind of zoom around the office and can go to your desk and say hello. I think that's a very cool idea. We've um, explored some different sort of 2D, 3D models. So you essentially like you're in your physical office environment or you're at home in your living room or wherever. And you're also in a virtual 2D, 3D environment that we would build out to our usual design standards. And so say, um, I'm an employee that sits in the Copenhagen office, and I want to talk to somebody that sits in the Krakow office. Well, we're now both in this virtual 3D environment, and I can go find that person. Hmm. And they've, And you're actually able to just speak to them. And so it's a way of, I think, recreating some of those um, bump in exchanges or finding people um, in a quasi physical way. Do you know what I mean? And so we're definitely exploring um, a lot of those ideas. I think initially for our return, we're thinking that If everybody can't be in the conference room, then everybody takes the call via Zoom. So, whether that's at desk or at home, or you pop into a phone booth or whatever that is, um, because we really do want to maintain that even playing field that we've all been experiencing this last year.
0: Yeah, I think you bring a, a number of interesting points, one of which, and I'm hardly the first person to say it, is that, as you mentioned earlier, if you're early in your career or you're new to the company, you don't have that basis for interacting with folks and you're just an avatar or you're uh, uh, on Zoom versus you and I worked together for two years and now I just see you at home as opposed to in your office, Um, I could see how that would present challenges because if you're young or, or older or somewhere in the middle of your career, you may have your preferences, but it may actually be better for you to be in the office more than you'd like. Uh, I guess, to what extent are you going to give people choice? Because ultimately, employees can say, I don't want to come to the office three days a week. And that's fine. And the employer can say, okay, well, then you can't work here.
1: And yes, <laughs> it is a really interesting um, kind of dynamic. I, My personal feeling, and this is not a Zendesk thing, but this is my personal feeling, is that employers that are able to offer Um, an increased level of flexibility and choice for their workforce are going to be able to better attract and retain top tier talent. Top tier talent is going to go where they can work in a way that's most comfortable for them as an individual. And so it becomes, you know, um, the employer has to figure out how to do that. And some, I think, will and others probably won't. But in terms of our own approach, I think that Within Zendesk, we are, one, equipping managers to manage to outcomes rather than to presenteeism and, you know, really focusing on that piece. You know, how are we completing work? I mentioned earlier the idea of asynchronous work via Google Docs, via Slack, via project boards. Um you know, we're empowering our managers to do things differently. And a lot of what we're hearing from managers and people leaders is, I don't want to play the police as it relates to how often my people are in the office. So we get it, Zendesk, that you have these loose guidelines around, you know, in office means you're in the office two days a week minimum. But I, as the manager of these people, am not going to require that. I am going to require that they are completing their outputs in the way that I'm expecting them to complete them. And, you know, I don't know that um, right now it feels like that's the direction that will move towards, if that makes sense.
0: It does. And I'm really impressed speaking to you because not only do you have a sense of where we are, but... You're freely willing to admit that you don't know everything, and we need to do a survey, even though you don't like to call it a survey. So you're looking at the data. Uh, Talk a little bit about your background and how it prepared you to have a pretty good handle on this, certainly more than I think a lot of people that are struggling with how to make heads or tails out of this.
1: Um. (laughs) <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure that my background, my background is in real estate. I uh, managed apartment complexes when I was in college because it was something I could do full time while I was also studying full time. And when I got out of that, I did commercial brokerage for a few years, I, which I was terrible at, to be really honest. I'm not much of a salesperson, (laughs) but, um, and then I, you know, the, the crash of 07, 08 was about to hit and you could kind of see the writing on the wall. And I remembered how much I enjoyed managing these apartment complexes. And I thought, Oh, let me get back into property management. So, but property management is pretty black and white cut and dry, very cyclical, keep track of the details type thing. Right. Whereas, you know, And then I moved into facilities management and now sort of we call it workplace experience, right? But I think the thing that is so important and that was new for me as an individual and that I've done a lot of research on and work around during this COVID period is the idea of Employee experience and letting that be your headline, your guide for what you're doing, right? How does this work for an employee? I'm an employee at Zendesk. What do I need to be successful? I'm a people manager at Zendesk. What do I need to be successful? I am Zendesk, the organization. Am I ready for these changes? How can I be enabled to um, be doing these things so that the employees can, you know, so that the the engine of the business can keep running. And so just really reframing the way that I'm thinking about my work and, um, you know, how my work interacts with uh, some of the other groups.
0: It's fascinating listening to you ask these types of questions, because I'd argue that a million years ago when I worked in HR, if you were asking such interesting questions and going where the data took us and doing these experiments, because we don't know, I may have not been so bent of getting out of HR, because it was more about, to your point, being the police and making sure that somebody wasn't doing something inappropriate. I remember once on a consulting gig, we got a memo from HR, from corporate, uh, all consultants, that you no longer could expense bottled water. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, riddle me this. I'm billing out at anywhere from, I see you are furring your brow, anywhere from 175 to 450 an hour. I'm making the company a boatload of money. Why can't I, why do I have to drink from the tap? And it was because <laughs> some some clown used his per diem to basically go up to um, Target or Walmart and buy all sorts of bottled water. and still fell within his, his threshold. And as a result of that, everyone had to pay the price. And I just thought that was a horrible place for HR to be in because to your point, it's the police, right? You, when you hear from HR, you think to yourself, oh shit, now what? As opposed to, wow, I've got a real problem to solve. Um, HR could be a resource to help me solve this, or a sounding board, because I need help. I don't just want to deal with an employee relations issue or an investigation.
1: Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because I really feel like over the course of, you know, since I got into back into property management around 2007, there has been, and it, it started prior to that, but just a really big shift in the way that we think about going to work right? My dad worked for the same company for 35 years until he retired. And, you know, there was no expectation that work was a place where your social needs would be met, a place where there was going to be snacks, a place like, and some of those things organically happened. You join the Chamber of Commerce or whatever, right? But the expectation of what is being offered and or provided within your workspace, I think has changed dramatically. And smart, forward-thinking HR groups are recognizing that and they're changing the way that they structure policies and the way that they think about their employee base, right? Um And so you're seeing all of that kind of manifested, right? And the way that we approach this and the way that we, I think about the Zendesk employee as my customer. They are my client. That's how we talk about it, right? That's how I discuss it with my teams. And so, you know, that really has to be our guide. These are the people that we want to engage. These are the people that we want to help learn and grow. And ultimately we want them to, feel safe, to feel in community, to feel like they want to stay at Zendesk because we've spent all this time and money, you know, figuring out how to get them into our system, right?
0: Hire this woman. <laughs> I mean, I, I <laughs> preach it, sister. I am completely with you. I, I think that when the HR, the company is a resource helping you get through these times, as opposed to just a place to get a paycheck then you can move up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which I agree with you old school folks will say, forget about all that self-actualization crap. Your company is there to give you a paycheck, right? Right? That's it. And to your point, good folks, much less top tier folks, don't have a problem getting a paycheck, right? Rock stars are never going to have a problem. And you could argue, this came up in one of the previous podcasts, that the fact that companies are more keen on accepting remote work means that people can go anywhere right? You're no longer committed or limited to, in your case, being around San Francisco, which again, has got tons of large, successful, iconic companies, but not all of them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what if, you know, what if I have six kids and living in the Bay Area is not really, you know, it's tough for me. And maybe I've been commuting from Tracy or Mountain House or someplace that's you know, two hours each way every day. And suddenly I've got these new options. Um, you know, I'm not going to want to go back to doing that every day. Right. And, um, you know, so how are we, how are we adapting? And also, you know, I mean, I just find it super interesting that some of these, you know, younger folks, the millennials and younger are really thinking about, they, they see work as, as, as a social outlet this is a place where my friends are. (laughs) It's almost like my kids, when they went back to school after the pandemic, it's like, yeah, I'm still at school, but my friends are there, (laughs) you know? And it just changes their whole dynamic and the whole way that they're thinking about it, approaching
0: going to school. And we could talk for hours about this. I know that that can be a good thing and a bad thing. So it's great if your friends are at work. On the other hand, um, there was a book that came out by Dan Lyons a few years ago about working at HubSpot. And he was basically the oldest person there as a former journalist. And the way he tells it in the book, I think it's called Disrupted. Um, anyway, um, they had sort of fed them this line that you should live here, your life is here, get drunk here, hook up here, and how unhealthy it was because yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, but if you think about what plenty of the Silicon Valley companies have done, um, you know, with with the food and the dry cleaning and. Why would you want to leave? Which is that benevolence? Or is that a way of getting you to work longer? Not even just that golden Sachs, right? They used to say, if you work till seven, you get free dinner. If you stay at nine, you get a free black car home. Well, what did people do? They worked till nine. Right? Yeah. They didn't have to eat. They didn't have to deal with commuting. So mixed feelings about that
1: there's a dark side and you referenced the new article in the New York times about Google and some of the really cool things that they're doing um, within their office spaces to adjust and be flexible um, as we introduce hybrid work. But I think, you know, I, two weeks ago or something, not very long ago, I read, I think it was an op-ed also in the New York times about a young woman who had worked for Google and you know, loved it and poured her whole life into it. And she was there 20 hours a day and it was everything. But then a couple of things went sideways for her. And I, I forget all the particulars, but essentially it becomes more than your job not being good because now all your friends and like everything that had meaning in your life is tied up in this space. And that's probably not healthy either.
0: No. And it's become more complicated. I've, I've said for years, cause I'm not a newbie when it comes to working from home, that I'm not always working, but I feel like I'm always at work. And you could argue that these things have become more intense today because social networks and smartphones and collaboration tools like Slack, unless we actively turn them off, they're almost electronic leashes, right? Plus people are inside our homes. They're not just seeing a picture of our families or our pets on our desk, like the cat's actually walking across the table during a zoom call.
1: Yeah. Right. right, Which is both Uh to your
0: point, both good and bad. So, Fascinating stuff. Um, I'll get you out here on this. What book have you most recently read?
1: Let's see. Uh, we just finished doing a book actually with my directs, and we read it together. It's called Lessons from the Mouse. It's by Dennis Snow, um, and it's uh, using Disneyland as a model. And it really talks a lot about customer service, the idea of what's in front of the curtain, what's behind the curtain. And I felt like it was really relevant for my group. I have a very um, young, enthusiastic team that hadn't necessarily been given a ton of kind of concrete career foundational knowledge, you know, what does it take to move up within a organization, like this sort of thing. And so to just really get them thinking on a different level, it's got about 10 chapters and each chapter at the end has some questions, questions for discussion. So I didn't have to like prep that much. So, um, super cool, easy read. Um, great for, you know, younger folks or just kind of reminders about, you know, what's important. Where's our North star here.
0: Sounds good, Danielle. Thanks for joining me. I really enjoyed it.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed it as well.
0: Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and and or subscribe. See you next time.